Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both pig and old. I'm happy to be joined by thriller correspondent Graham Hall to talk about these two. Graham, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Josh. You know, I mean, the last M. Night Shyamalan movie, I got to go ahead and say I was wildly disappointed by, and so I was really looking forward to seeing old and talking about it with you, but it was not to spoil anything. It was pig that blew me away this <laughs> July. And I can't wait to talk about both movies with you. Yeah. Graham joined us last year to talk about, which I mean, dude, how long does it feel like it's been since we talked about glass? Cause that was just 2020, but that feels like it was like three lifetimes ago. Cause that was one of the pre pre pandemic movies that came out at the, or no, wait, that was a 2019 movie. I guess. Or no, sorry. Glass was a, Glass was 2019, not 2020. Man, uh, time flies. I don't blame you for getting there, for forgetting the dates, because Glass, Split, I both thought that those were just subpar efforts for the guy who made me walk out um, of seeing signs as a kid. You know, I used to think that nothing could scare me as a kid, and then watching signs, the scene in Brazil where they're watching the videotape and the alien pops out in the alley. I mean, I was terrified for weeks. I had to run out of the room. And I hate to use a cliche, but how the mighty have fallen. I was such a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan. And I don't know. I don't know, man. Has he lost it? Oh, man. See, I actually like Split, but uh, because I like Split so much, I was disappointed by Glass. I actually never seen Signs, so uh, you spoiled that a little bit for me, but it's my fault. You've Been never seen Signs? No, I know. It's like the one of his that's like uh, pretty well You can't blame me for spoiling a movie no, that no, came uh, out 18 years ago, my friend. Know, it no, is no, a no, fantastic I movie. I mean, the thing about M. Night Shyamalan is that he was on a run. I mean, Unbreakable, Signs, and then it all just kind of – Sixth Sense, it all just went downhill from there. And the movies he's made, he's had a few. I'll admit, I loved The Visit. I'll I'll be the first to tell you, I absolutely loved The Visit. I've not seen that either. No, 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 I I haven't seen The Visit. No, I'm going to watch The Visit. have some homework to do, my friend. Well, so yeah, I've seen, I I mean, I I really, Unbreakable is probably my favorite. I've seen The Sixth Sense, and I I really like Split. So it's just for some reason I never worked my way backwards to The Village and Signs, even though those were were well-received, unlike all of the other ones of his. But Split was kind of considered a return to form, and uh, that's why Glass was disappointing, and I think we were both – it sounds like we were both a little let down by old. But we're going to start on a high note. We're going to talk about Pig because Pig was just such a revelation. It is the new movie from first-time feature filmmaker Michael Cernoski. It tells the story of uh, Robin Feld, played by Nick Cage, who is a former uh, Portland-based chef who was like a real hotshot chef but uh, became a recluse and just started his own little life living off the grid as a truffle forager and had a has, has a pig that lives with him in a cabin deep in the Oregon woods. That helps him find truffles that he sells to uh, food suppliers, and uh, one of the ones he sells to is a kid named Amir, played by Alex Wolf, who also makes an appearance in Old, so we'll be talking about him twice today. And uh, one, one night, though, Rob is assaulted by some assailants who uh, then steal his pig, and he wants to reach out to Amir for help, and uh, they go on a journey throughout uh, Portland to uh, find the truffle-hunting pig. Graham, I guess what I'm first going to ask you before we even get deep into the movie, I've never talked to you about Nick Cage because Nick Cage has not had a lot of movies come out since – I mean I've been doing the movie podcasting for almost six years now. And I don't know if he's really even had a movie that felt like really relevant enough. Besides, I, I never actually saw Mandy. It just kind of got by me a few years ago, which I know was well received. But other than that, he really didn't make a lot because he makes a lot of like, you know, 
uh, fairly under the radar um, schlock, for lack of a better term. He's had his money problems. It's pretty well documented. Uh, but a lot of people really ironically like a lot of the bad movies he makes. And I just really haven't had occasion to talk to anyone about them since I've been doing movie podcasting. So my question to you to start off is, where are you on Nick Cage? Are you someone that like like me that just like really respects the work he's done in the past but hasn't paid a lot of attention to him in recent years? Do you like a lot of the stuff that like not a lot of people see that he does and you kind of get off on some of the, you know, ironically on some of the not so great Nick Cage stuff because you can appreciate a movie that way? Like how have you kind of taken in the last like 10 years of his career? Oh, he's so misunderstood in my mind. I mean, for one, if anyone I think <clears throat> has a right to be mad at the quote-unquote media it's for it's nicholas cage who you know was kind of ripped for some eccentric purse purchases wine art you name it multiple houses spooky mansions whatever you you want to call it i mean the guy had money to blow and people ripped him for it coming off of the national treasure movies and off of a fantastic run in the 90s where he became the kind of keanu reeves before there was really a, a place in Hollywood for a guy like Keanu Reeves to exist. This eccentric, weird guy that was affable, lovable. That was Nicolas Cage. And he was able to do everything from a, a PG rated movie to an R rated movie and be taken seriously in both. He could be, you know, deadly serious one minute and absolutely hilarious. The next, he had incredible range, has incredible range for an actor. And I think that most people kind of just laughed at him for a variety of reasons oh my god was the wicker man bad oh my god have you seen the wicker man no the remake uh, save yourself the trouble i mean <laughs> it became an internet meme with the scene where nicholas cage just gets kind of just devoured by bees let's call it like that is and he was just you know ripped for that and you were right he had a, a run of very i don't know if they were necessarily bad movies but just Movies where he was good in them, but were just boring or worse versions of movies that had come before here. And then you get to what has come about recently. Mandy, uh, I know there were a couple, a couple more that were missing that were on a smaller scale that he was fantastic in, um, where he just plays eccentric characters out there. And when it came to Pig, you know, I knew that he, we all, like every, everything I said, he still has chops. So when you bring in a talented filmmaker on the rise, uh, an interesting premise where you really don't know, um, it, it kind of seemed at times that they were making a scary movie type version of John Wick to me. And what better character to play that than Nicolas Cage? And I would love to see him have like a type of, you know, Robert De Niro run into his late, you know, 70s here in Hollywood. But he unfortunately now has kind of said F you Hollywood. And if that means that he's going to keep making movies like this, I am all for it. Well, it's funny you mentioned John Wick because I, you know, I think my experience watching Pig was uh, pretty informed by the fact that like I knew nothing about it. Other than I heard the fact that like someone described it as like, what if John Wick, but he's a pacifist and I didn't take pacifist to necessarily mean, oh, he's not someone that likes to fight. I took it to mean like someone that doesn't want to fight. 
And I kind of went in thinking like, oh, I see what happens to the pig. He's just going to start kicking ass like John Wick, even though he really doesn't like doing it. And I thought that even through the scene where he has to get his ass kicked, thinking that like, oh, this is a prelude to him kicking ass. And I kept thinking that was going to be the movie it was. And because it wasn't, it kept surprising me, but in like very unexpected, pleasant ways. And once I kind of got to where I like understood what the movie kind of was, in, in a way, it almost like felt like a religious experience in some ways, just watching this character reveal himself to us. And I thought it was fascinating. What did you think about Pig? I thought it was very deep on a level that we don't often see from movies that hinge that close to the precipice of ultra violence in a sense not to use the term coined from a clockwork orange but that's john wick that's what i think so many people are expecting now is that's the way that you handle problems if someone comes into your house wrongs you if you had every reason to hate nothing to live for that you would resort to that especially in modern day america and you know, yeah, call it a religious experience, you know, being reminded of, of the love and humanity that still is out there, the ability to forgive and move on. I mean, the message was tremendous. And, you know, Nicolas Cage, like I said, hinges so close at times to looking like he's going to snap at any minute. I mean, the more and more that you find out, it's not like John Wick, where in the first five minutes you seem to completely understand the character's motivations for what they're doing but it's a movie that takes time to unravel but in the quietness of the initial 15 minutes where you really don't know what's going on where you're just getting to know the character i think that most people have the sense of tranquility that kind of falls over them and few movies i think are really able to capture that while also making the viewer anxious of feeling like there's going to be a disruption uh, or this violence coming. And, you know, maybe this is a spoiler in a sense here, but ultimately one that never really, I mean, you said pacifist, but one that ultimately never really comes. And I think you leave the movie questioning um, what you as a viewer were expecting the character to do and and why you feel that way were you conditioned to feel that way is that the way you believe or is that just how you thought movies would play out the movie makes you question a lot of things i I thought that that was part of why um it was so fantastic and on a little bit lighter note have you looked up anything about truffle pigs or, or truffle dogs and this incredible business i mean Man, I read some articles out there. It is ruthless. It is as it is more ruthless than the movie described. It is no exaggeration that it is kind of like the mafia when really? it comes to truffle dogs. Yeah, yeah, you have got to do some. I'll send you some stuff on this later. There are prized. I, I only found some stuff on truffle dogs. I'm sure truffle pigs are a big thing as well. But yeah, well, it is a I... huge market. Yeah, well, I didn't know that domestically. Uh, my parents went on a trip to Italy a few years ago, and they like there's, there's parts of Italy where truffle dogs are really a thing. And like they there's a, there was a documentary that came out last year on them that I think almost got nominated for the Oscar, like called Truffle Hunters. And 
I didn't end up watching the documentary, but like my parents were going to take us to Italy last year before COVID and actually go back to this place where they like saw the truffle hunters. So I kind of knew it was a thing in other parts of the world. I did not know it was like the ruthless uh, industry it is made out to be within parts of the United States in this movie. And it's funny because you it's funny you mentioned the first 15 minutes of the movie, though, because like I, you know, I, you kind of see what the guy's doing. But until Alex Wolf shows up in his Camaro, you would because of the way that Robin is living, you would think this looks like it might be set in like the uh, the 18 late 1800s or something. Uh, so it's kind of funny that all of a sudden it seems like it might be like an old timey movie. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, it's actually like uh, uh, this guy's going to have to make a journey into like kind of like a very ruthless modern industry, uh, which which was really funny. Um but I no, but I, but but I kind of I, I agree with you though in that like you know uh, you're, you're certainly thinking about like your expectations for this character as you're watching the movie. I mean, uh, Nicholas Cage is kind of like I mean he's kind of a skinnier dude in real life, but the way he carries himself in this movie, uh, he looks so haggard, he looks so worn, he looks so um, he, he does look kind of he's hulking in a way even if he's not exactly big big. And I'm just like. I, when a guy looks like that, you're conditioned to maybe think he could kick someone's ass, like I said. And so uh, you're, you're constantly, like, surprised by all the actions he takes. And it's just, like, really riveting to, like, watch him reveal himself to the audience. And I, th- that's what I found, like, really just, like, so engrossing about this movie. Uh, even before you get to, like, even before you actually really start to figure out who he is. Because he's every time he interacts with anyone, it's, everything that comes out of his mouth is, like, so surprising. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, we brought up Mandy earlier. I think that that's part of why, you know, I talked about preconceived notions. I think that's part of why this works so well is because we just came off this kind of phantasmagorical movie in the woods of Nicolas Cage, you know, slaying people uh, with all these vivid colors. And you're kind of thinking that this is going to be like, oh, more of a realistic type version of this movie because i mean look at the success of john wick i mean it's hard to doubt anyone who would want to recreate that right now get a guy like that give them similar motivations their animal is taken hurt killed you name it in the beginning of the movie boom also, they also to live for also I, che- I checked out on him so much in the last like 10 years that the last time i'm looking at his imdb now the last time i actually saw a new movie of his was kick-ass which i mean that shows i missed a lot probably didn't miss a whole lot that was that worthwhile besides mandy but like kick-ass is a very specific type of hyper-violent movie also yeah it is and you know i think that nicholas cage did kind of have to get away from th- playing those movies where he was kind of like a shtick in a sense where people expected where people expected him to be playing this ultra-violent role where he was cracking jokes and couldn't be taken seriously, where you really weren't sympathizing for him too much. I mean, I think that Kick-Ass did a fairly decent job of having him play a supporting role to giving Chloe Grace Moretz some sympathy, but it was kind of because he was like this father who dragged his daughter into it. You really couldn't sympathize for him. So this has really been the role, the first role in a long time where I can remember that the audience is really sympathizing with the plight of Nicolas Cage's character rather than just laughing at the situation that he's gotten himself into or what he's doing or because of the cinematography of the movie. It's it's over the top. I mean, this is, a I think, a vivid um, in-your-face confront how you would act in this type of circumstance if you had nothing else to live for movie. And Nicolas Cage, you know, bravo, because he... Uh, absolutely for me was able to 
um, make me think and, and connect in that regard. And when I was like you, I'd kind of been in a place where I was saying, hey, this guy, you know, he's past his prime. Hollywood has forgotten about him and, and fairly he's forgotten about Hollywood. But that doesn't mean he can't still come out there and give a kick ass performance. You mentioned that you like the messages in the movie. Um, I took I feel like I took a fairly specific one from it myself. W- what really resonated with you in that regard? Uh, kind of what I said earlier, I think that so pe- so many people are prone right now, especially in Hollywood and, and maybe not in real life, because I don't think they necessarily parallel each other. But in American society, especially, we're so used to confronting having no more recourse with violence. And that is, I think, a very, very sad um commentary or thought to have even in my regard about uh society and this movie sets you up and it's in part the way it's shot how dark it is early on uh how you know scruff and rough nicholas cage is it really you know baits you into thinking that violence is coming but it's commentary on solving problems without violence and forgiveness and and moving on and and grief and human emotion i thought i thought that was tremendous well so i that i i agree with that i think the thing and we didn't talk that much about the other characters yet the other thing i think it really uh does well is i feel like it it, it's trying to be a story about about the importance of trying if you can trying to live your life without just constantly seeking validation from others and just finding your own internal peace and like what 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 fulfills you even if it might not be something that like is necessarily going to make other people be like you know have other people adore you like you might if you're just a very popular chef in a trendy city um you know i i we we, i mentioned amir the alex wolf character earlier and it ends up actually spending a lot of time on him because he is robin has been his connection into this world where he's been trying to like make it on his own without like going in with his dad who does the same thing and ends up being a pretty big story and being a big and is already a pretty big player in this industry and you know it's kind of funny because as like disheveled and beat up and as awful and as Honestly, I, 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 there were a couple of times in the movie where I just started laughing because it's like Robin didn't even like bother washing his face. I, I, I was just thinking about like, wow, people must be looking at him like he's like the most ridiculous creature ever to walk amongst them. And despite the fact that he just looks all ridiculous, probably smells awful, has like the most unkempt fa- hair ever, uh, he probably is like has more um, – he's probably more self-actualized than anyone else in the movie. And that's what I found really interesting was that like he found a, a life that he was content with living off the grid with the pig, whereas the guy that the, the young kid that dr- seems like he has it all put together on the surface is driving a Camaro. He's not really probably that happy because he can't please his dad. His dad, who is extremely wealthy as we see his house, uh, obviously not that happy because he doesn't have anyone to share all of his success with because if um, his his wife's not there anymore and he's alienated his son. And probably the best scene in the movie, maybe in my opinion, is when he he when Robin confronts this other restaurateur uh, that used to work in one of his restaurants, and we, he just kind of like pierces that guy straight in his heart by pointing out that he's not doing what he loves either. You know, and it's just kind of funny that this guy who looks like on the surface doesn't have it all together at all. It's just kind of a vessel by which the movie shows, man, like uh, uh, don't judge a book by its cover and appearances can be deceiving because, you know, just because someone's acting like they have it all, they probably don't. Yeah, when he has to see the manager, I thought that was a fantastic scene because, you know, he's breaking down walls of the 
that these men have put up to guard themselves and to trick themselves into thinking that, yeah, what well, you're saying, that, that they actually are happy doing what they want to do when he knows that's not the case at all. He's, you know, they're, they're probably judging him for being a, a recluse for the last 10 years, whatever, while he's judging them for how they are conforming and, and bending what they want to do towards the the Portland restaurant scene in, in this case. And it, it's a commentary on, um, you know, doing what you want to do uh, versus, you know, free will and judging others um, when, when you're not living your life by free will. I know I just totally butchered um, those two parallels, but <laughs> thinking of it in, in regards to how many people when they grow up are, are told to get into a certain profession, do this and conform. So many people uh, don't follow what they want to do and conform because that's the safe way rather than taking the risk. And people who take the risk and fail, are they the ones that should be laughed at by those who conform? I, I think the movie makes you question um, often what really uh, we, we should judge in this society, people who try and fail um, in, in a sense here, or try and succeed and step away because it's no longer what they want to do, which was the case here for Rob, um, or, or people who, you know, actively live their life um, secretly unhappy, just doing something because they feel it's it's what they should be doing, or it's the profession that they feel like they should be in, not one necessarily the one that makes them happy. Yeah. Did you have any other feelings about the movie um, as far as with, with respect to any of the performances that you uh, that kind of resonated with you or any of the other story beats we didn't already touch on? Have you seen the movie A History, A History of Violence? Yes. Oh, I it's, got actually, it's ma- been a while. It's been a while, though. I got major A History of Violence vibes from this movie because you're still trying to figure out the main character's backstory throughout the movie as it unravels. And, and then as you, you know really meet the main antagonist, which in this case uh, is, is Robbie's father, right? Um, when you meet him and the scene where he makes the meal... You, you, mean, Amir, you, you, mean, you, mean, you mean Amir's father. Amir's father, excuse me. Played by Alex Wolf, who um, is, you know, if, if someone was to ask us, I'm sure this would be the main parallel between the two movies, is Alex Wolf being in both, like you said. Um, I, th- I thought that was like... <laughs> You know, what are the odds here, in a sense? Fantastic performance by him. Uh, But when Nicolas Cage makes the meal for his father from 15 years ago for his wife that he lost, I I thought that was extremely powerful. And it showed that often one of the ways that you can send a message, I mean, usually is through an emotional connection more so than a physical one. And if anything, that scene was embodied the overall theme of the movie for me yeah it really speaks to uh, it really speaks to everything the movie's trying to do that he uh, decides that like look this is the way i'm going to try and get through to this guy it says a lot about who he is and just you know that that would be the way he would decide to do it It, it, it's probably surprising to the audience you don't exactly know what's going on but you don't feel like you're being deceived or manipulated into anything you're just kind of like oh He's giving him a list of goods. What is he going to do? And this guy just kind of always has something up his sleeve that's going to really um, – that, that's going to surprise you in a very – in find it interesting. You know, I was just really – I was just really captivated by this whole movie, you know? Like we kept talking about how, you know, we kept thinking maybe violence is going to be an answer, and 
I kind of had that expectation. If you had told me, like, you're going to go into a movie expecting, like, a kick-ass action movie that's going to have almost no action, man, I would have been like, how am I going to actually feel about that? And I just I – w- I was just so much more into it because I was so I was so riveted by everything uh, that Nick Cage was doing. But I also I also did connect with Amir, and I thought that they did a pretty good job with that, um, with, with, with that side of the movie. I could see maybe some people thinking that, like, oh, that, that's kind of secondary and maybe not as important, and they spent a lot of time on that. But I've, I feel like in a way it's it's it's, it's like a good it's, – it's a good uh, comparison story to Robin's story and I and, and I really appreciated it uh, it's it, funny you mentioned Alex Wolf too I, I just had the thought when I was sitting here uh, yeah it's a connection between these two movies but it's also uh, the first time I ever saw him was in Hereditary which was the first episode of this podcast which you did with me so yep. I mean I can't That's say I've right. seen I can't say I've seen him in a lot of things since then, and it's been about almost pretty much exactly three years since that but it's man you he, he, he just he's just all of a sudden popping back up and stuff. But yeah, I, 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 I can't say the history of violent stuff jumped to my mind right away because I hadn't seen it in a while, but, um, I, 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 I do think I get where you're coming from and it's, I, I was just, I was just, is it's just not often, you know, I follow movies so closely, Graham, and like I, I'm always like up on what's coming up next and learning about things and reading stuff well in advance of when stuff comes out and somehow like this just like really snuck up on me and it's, it's, I'm it's, with it's you. And it, and it and it's rare that I go into a movie just not knowing anything about the plot. So to to go in like with no expectations and uh, other than whatever you th- might think about a Nicolas Cage movie and then then get this movie, and I was just, I was just like really happy about that. I don't know. A- any other final thoughts before we move on? No, I'm with you. I loved it. It, it kind of snuck up on me as well. I saw it, you know, on my radar coming in about a week before and read up on it and said this looked fantastic and. It exceeded my expectations, you know. It absolutely was an action movie, but all the action scenes were just, they were just usually dialogue-heavy scenes with Nicolas Cage. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I I would watch it again, and I plan on it very soon to see what I missed, and um, it's one I absolutely recommend if you can see it right now in theaters. Yeah, you know, we we didn't really... um... Man, I'm probably gonna like put some kind of warning on the on the podcast description, like you know, spoilers throughout or whatever, because the way this movie kind of reveals itself, it's hard to like talk about it without spoiling stuff. But like, I'm gonna just like encourage everyone to like go tell someone to watch it, um, before they actually, li- I mean, before anyone listens to this, they should watch it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try and encourage more people to like make it to it while it's still in theaters. It's only in theaters right now. They didn't. It's not one of these that's had a VOD release. I'm sure it'll you know be on VOD sooner than other stuff t- um has been in the past. But like, you got you got to go see it. The theater right now and i highly recommend it i should also as i mentioned before um michael sarnowski is a first time first time filmmaker and um nick cage was actually a producer on this movie which you know it speaks to his taste that he um that he like wanted to like invest in this filmmaker and um and help bring his vision to the screen and i hope he hope he gets a chance to uh do do other stuff i think i think that's a good that's a good jumping off point to go to old though uh we already kind of touched on it a little bit earlier so we kind of we we, we we kind of um we, we already revealed some of our feelings on the movie but we'll get a little more into it now uh, as we've already discussed old is the newest movie from filmmaker m night Shyamalan, who again uh graham and i talked about his last movie on this podcast which was glass which came out in january of 2019 uh which was very disappointing honestly i probably liked old better than i like glass old uh 
kind of initially centers on a married couple uh, named uh, Guy and Prisha, Guy played by Gal Garcia Bernal, who I honestly like kept thinking the guy kind of looked like him throughout the movie, but I feel like they were doing something kind of weird with his eyes because I didn't totally make that connection uh, until I saw the credits. Uh, Prisha is played by Vicky Creeps, who you might know from Phantom Thread. They travel to a tropical resort with their young children, Trent and Maddox, uh, who are like, you know, like kind of like six and ten years old or so at the um, when we first meet them. Uh, it's a it's it's kind of meant to be a finally a final family vacation before this couple of divorces. We see that they're going through some troubles. Um, the resort's manager uh, when advises them like, hey, you guys might like going to this like, little secluded beach that I tell to only the most like valued guest and i think you'll really like it here uh there's other people that are go along with them there's a uh, a rapper played uh named mid-sized sedan because you know that's what m night Shyamalan thinks rappers uh go by uh and a, a female that he was traveling with there's a there's a surgeon named charles and his wife crystal and they have a young daughter named kara and charles's mother named agnes and there's Another married couple named uh, Jarin, who is like, a, I think, a male nurse, and his w- wife, Patricia, who is a psychologist. And they're all on this beach, and they are hanging out, and then uh, things start to happen. Like the, the, the grandma all of a sudden becomes ill, and the kids start aging, and they begin to realize, like, hey, this beach is actually something that is causing people to, you know, age about uh, a year for every half an hour that they're that they're on the beach so of course you see the changes in the kids first and you know they end up dealing with the fallout from that and trying to figure out how they're gonna fight back against it graham i i actually saw this movie with two friends and i uh my friend daniel who does the podcast fairly often and uh another friend named sarah and you know maybe it's because i'm not used to like especially during the since we've like we're, I've, I've only been back into theaters for a handful of months now since the uh since i got my vaccine and stuff like that but like uh, I, I just haven't had a lot of experiences in the last year and a half where I saw a movie with other people. Just, I just, I mean, I, I live right across the street from a theater. It's easy for me to just walk over and ha- hang out there and see it by myself and not to, and, you know, before like more people were vaccinated, I could do that and just pick my own seat in the theater and, you know, didn't really have to like worry about all that. So I haven't had a lot of experiences with a lot of other people in crowded theaters, uh, since we got back from COVID. So, and I don't think I've seen a comedy with other people. So I laughed a lot at this movie. I'm not sure how much M night was in on the joke, but quite frankly, it's a fairly ridiculous movie. Uh, and I mean, there can be good parts of that in a communal theater going experience, but man, I still think it's kind of ridiculous. And I have a lot of questions about like M night Shyamalan as a writer after seeing this, I think it's, you know, fairly interesting, um, as a directing job, but like, gosh, it just like was so weird, uh, with the writing. I mean, I don't know. What was your big takeaway? Cause I know you didn't like it either. Oh yeah, it was, uh, it was very, very strange. I, was intrigued by the premise i can't lie i was hoping that he would find a far less ludicrous way to wrap it up or to give you some atypical affair which in my mind i mean with m night Shyamalan, you're expecting some huge twist at the end so wouldn't the twist be to you know shake things up mid-movie or provide some some twist on the formula i mean i really just lost interest in all these people on the beach after a while and that's really what it is it's just waiting for them to age and, and you come to predict what's going to happen they're going to die one by one by one and the movie is just going to devolve from there but yeah what a what a pretty um 
insane premise if you really think about it. And, you know, you know, you brought it up, but let's talk about the return to movies here for a second. I think that most of us were anyone who had been back in the movies in abundance, which I think you and I would both consider ourselves to be in that category. But we were overwhelmed by trailers to this movie. And I had heard that there were reports um, from stories in the, the months leading up to the movie's release that he had not really even settled on an exact ending <laughs> at 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 by by april um of this year so it, it was just pretty crazy to me um i gotta be honest i am a fan of his show on apple tv plus servant so there is active m night Shyamalan content that i do watch and enjoy but i mean between this and glass uh yeah i mean it was really just discouraging how bad it was because it had fantastic talent and i do think that he has the ability to make a good film but no one really stepped in here and said this is just ludicrous man okay so glad i'm glad you mentioned that you didn't really care about these characters um after pretty quickly because i don't i I, in the last few years i've gotten a little bit i still have a lot to watch but i've gotten more into alfred hitchcock in the last couple years do do you consider yourself a fan of alfred hitchcock movies not not a big one sadly Okay, so the thing I and I mean, he's someone that I'm sure you know is because it's a pretty common thing. Like ever since he came on the scene, M Night Shyamalan is like drawn comparisons to Alfred Hitchcock because you know Alfred Hitchcock is like just the you know the thriller master, and that he, uh, M Night kind of earned that you know that title with how he started out his career. And I it's I haven't I haven't watched Unbreakable in a few years, but like I mean I think one thing he did pretty good in some of those early movies that uh, Hitchcock did great in all of the movies of his that I've watched is that like. Before it actually gets to the thriller conceit, it takes its time actually getting to the point where the the actual hook of the movie comes, where, oh, here's the actual thing about it that makes this movie a thriller. A lot of Hitchcock's movies like take their time doing that, and you just settle into the world. So you know what is at stake by the premise – what, what the premise of this movie is putting at stake because you get a feel for like what these characters' lives are and just what is now being put at risk by Alfred Hitchcock's mind. And I, man, like I just, it was so bizarre how this movie started out. Like one, I, I had my initial thought was like, man, has M Night Shyamalan ever had a conversation with a child? And then I, I then I realized like, wait, I know he has kids. I don't have kids. Maybe that's just how kids talk these days. And I'm as I saw more of the reactions, like, nope, he just wrote these kids like really freaking weird. And uh, so there's that, and there's some inconsistencies once you actually get to the aging that I want to talk about too. But like. So it's either like the the characters trying to talk weird for where they're at in the movie, or like they're just total stereotypes, you know, like um with with how they act once they are on the beach, whether it be that psychologist that just like wants everyone to get in a circle and talk, or the guy the guy that like actually kind of like has dementia. I mean, he's like it's like a weird caricature of just like an angry old man with dementia. And there's like the the kind of the the surgeon's wife is just like as you know. Um, shallow as you might expect a character that appears like that on the outside to be. And man, like, I just like, he did a bad job of like setting up like what these people were like and therefore what this, uh, phenomenon that occurs on the beach is costing them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's one question I had. Did he have dementia in your mind or did he have schizophrenia? Schizophrenia because there's a line and I guess this is a spoiler. Mm hmm warning here yeah but there's a line you know near the end where they say that we have to start separating the physically ill patients from the mentally ill patients 
which, you know, uh, you know, the way that he was acting where he was stabbing, I mean, maybe it could have been a, a crazy form of dementia, but it seemed that, you know, they were implying that some of those patients out there had mental um, diseases that they were struggling with. Uh, I, I've seen both actually, so I don't I, I don't know if there's a clear answer to that out there a, a clear answer to that out there uh, necessarily. I you know it's I I, I my my initial thought was like uh, schizophrenia and that that's like that's even kind of what it refers to on the they, they refer how they refer to it in the Wikipedia, but I've seen dementia a couple other times. Either way, I mean it just didn't it it, it, it kind of felt like it was all over the place, and I you know so one. I, I was like, man, I don't care about these people as much as I should because I just don't think M. Night did a great job of writing them. Uh, two, uh, once the stuff starts happening on the beach, I, you know, I kind of wanted them to like, I don't know, maybe maybe process it a little more than they actually did. And at least maybe if, if they weren't going to show us, you know, I, I, I always rather in the storytelling, I always prefer show to tell. But I, I almost think maybe wanted them to tell to like, you know, th- th- they make one comment at one point about like, oh, I. I don't think we're gonna have a. Um, I don't think we're gonna have a missed out on like having a prom or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little all over the place now, but like I, I just thought it wasn't like as consistent with like what was happening to these people. The the Alex Wolf character, uh, he, uh, he or he, the son uh, Trent, uh, he ends up being played by Alex Wolf when he turns into like a teenager and young adult before having to make another age jump. And then the basically the almost toddler character that. Uh, then grows that was the daughter of the uh, Abby Lee character and the doctor character. Uh, she ends up being played by Eliza Scanlon, who you might know from uh, Sharp Objects or Little Women. And I mean, they're both great actors, but you know, the characters end up uh, they they end up having sex, and it's implied that uh, they they just don't even know their own bodies. They don't know what's happening because they're still young children. And at one point, he makes a comment like, "Oh, I thought I knew how babies were made, but I thought you had to do that ten times." And it's like, okay. Sure, like a little kid's not gonna understand it, but then like later they just like they talk like adults even when they like they're older. So it's like you know, it, like the, their vocabulary is not that of like a six-year-old and an eleven-year-old when you see these characters get older later. And I'm like, man, there's not exactly consistency to how this is working. I don't really care about these people. Like I agree with you. Like it's a it's a unique idea. I give M Night credit for that. Like he goes for it, but at the same time, I'm like, man, your execution and how you like wrote out this idea and saw it through, it just felt very half baked. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, this is gonna sound kind of a strange comparison in a sense, but you know, in Interstellar, where Matthew McConaughey is gone on the planet for five minutes, but he ends up missing 31 years of of yes. his daughter's life. And you you feel, you know, the tremendous sadness that they both feel at losing out on pivotal parts of their lives together. Yeah, that should have been what this movie attempted to make the viewer feel in in the horrors is these people missing out on massive parts of their lives. You know, they they already set up the commentary of, you know, them wanting to split up and leave. And then all of a sudden, you know they could have realized what great time what little time they had left together which you know ultimately they do but you you never really felt the sadness of them realizing that they only had one day really left together rather than that they thought that you know when they woke up that morning that they had 20 some odd years or whatever the rest of their lives left and the viewer never feels a connection to 
the the characters in, in that regard. And as you just mentioned, you know, the, it's a laundry list of talented actors and actresses. So the flaw is in itself the dialogue and the the story in not making the viewer feel these things these people on the beach because it just what you said moves so quickly from oh we find this body to what are we gonna do what's going on here we're stuck like this uh yeah you know it's pretty tone deaf at times yeah i didn't mention that uh uh maddox is uh the, for the majority of the movie is played by thomas and mckenzie who a lot of people may know from leave no trace and jojo rabbit and um, I mean, it's just going to be a huge star. She's going to be in uh, Edgar Wright's next movie, Last Night in Soho, later this year, and going to be, ironically enough, that we're recording this during the Olympics, playing Carrie Shrug in Olivia Wilde's uh, movie that's following up the movie that she has coming out next. Uh, so, just very talented cast, and like, I just, you know, even before it gets to that point, though, I feel like in order to like feel it and feel that loss of time that you're referring to from Interstellar, which is assisted by the fact that like they have Matthew McConaughey go to his daughter's deathbed when he's been a, a, away from her for a long time, basically. So, I like I kind of understand um, that with the plot of this movie, kind of doesn't necessarily allow for a scene like that. But I feel like if they had done a better job, and if, if M Night had done a better job writing those earlier scenes of the family, maybe maybe you just feel it a little bit more. And I just didn't really feel it for them. Uh, in I just didn't I didn't feel for them in that way. And you know I just think that what they, they could have it, it was a it wasn't like a long long movie like it wasn't quite two hours but it felt like there was a lot of time still spent that could have just been you know had other dialogue that would have uh maybe conveyed some of this stuff that it feels like we're missing i and i to, to give to its credit like i don't think it i don't think it focused on like those kind of effects of it well but I, again i want to harp again on the fact that like look i like the idea and i and i don't i guess and might be doesn't deserve like a ton of the credit for that because it is adapted from a, a book um that's so but the fact is like i i did like seeing some of the actual like um the physical manifestations of this sensation you know they try and do surgery at one point and it's like oh and then i had to kind of think about it there's a there's a baby at one point and it's like the baby has the, the baby unfortunately doesn't make it very far because when you think about how fast time is moving like you know a baby needs to get nutrients pretty quickly and uh, so there are certain ways in which like, oh, I see like a really interesting conceit here. Like you already mentioned, but you know, I just don't think, uh, and in some ways I spent, I've spent a lot of time thinking about like, is there a way to make this conceit not seem goofy? You know, and some, maybe some of it is going to seem like that no matter what. And that's fine. The audience can have a laugh together, but I just think a lot of the rest of it wasn't maybe handled with the right, with the right tone. And I feel like a lot of times people do complain about tonal whiplash in movies and, a lot of times that yeah, doesn't with, bother yeah, me. I, a lot, well, I'm just saying, oh, oh, a lot of times that doesn't bother me if something does have tonal whiplash. And uh, what some people see as tonal whiplash, I think it can kind of handle it. So a lot of movies can kind of handle multiple tones, but this just didn't really seem to strike the right chord at any point. Yeah, I, I think that the, the chord that it did strike was one that didn't match its premise. It was kind of like, a, oh, shucks, we're, we're here, you know, at times. You never really felt the, the severity uh, of the situation, and it was kind of like as in the viewer was just left to be in shock at, at what was happening and just laughing at the circumstances rather than connecting with, you know, the characters. And maybe uh, a better, you know, director could have made this work, uh, this premise with these actors and, and changed some things. But either way, I mean... It's just not a great premise. It's not one that you, when you're watching it, are thinking, oh, this is 
one that captivates the heck out of me and maybe they could have changed it or had a huge pivot midway through but keeping them on a beach for it felt like an hour just that hardly works in in my mind well you mentioned you mentioned hardly worked well you mentioned that you thought it could have used like an m night Shyamalan twist which a lot of his movies are known for at the end and stuff like that uh I think part of this movie might have seemed like somewhat of a twist if they hadn't kind of telegraphed that like this might have this whole entire um, thing they were experiencing might have been the doing as other people. They keep all of a sudden like looking looking around to like seeing people high up on cliffs and they kind of know oh we're kind of being filmed yeah I don't know would yeah, you have, no, would absolutely you, would what you, you saying yeah would, would you have rather them just not done that and not tip their hand in that way no I w- I would have rather it taken <clears throat> a full on Truman Show route where they find out that they're on a beach and they attempt to break out and you know the scene of them going through the coral and and getting into the lab that is that's halfway through the movie and then they are dealing with the fallout kind of like a um you know trying to escape get him get them back on the beach for the greater good of society type thing i, I would have liked to see it devolve into that where we aren't you know, expecting just a late twist at the end. What I said when we started this about how he, he hadn't wrapped it up until a few months prior to its release is, you know, eliminates any possibility of having a interwoven plot like that. It's basically like you're just setting up what's going to happen on the beach and this is all going to happen. And then you're going to explain it some way in the very end. Uh, I would have liked to see, you know, a chance for them to break out of the beach because now on rewatch everyone or even on initial watch you you kind of are are just knowing that all these people are doomed in a sense here that there's no real emotional investment after the fact and and, and there's no real you know vindication you, you don't really see the people in the end pay for what what they were doing in, in any way because they still feel justified by the greater good and maybe that is the twist the pay, you know that these people that are so clearly the quote-unquote villains don't feel like villains and that's the moral conflict maybe that's the one slight redeeming factor that i think is really really intriguing but ultimately i think they could have gone farther in on that and made that happen much earlier what did you think of the makeup in this movie which is a weird question because not only are we like not makeup artists we're also guys so we have even less reason to wear makeup than um than, than a lot of people but i think that's pretty important in a movie like this with this specific conceit How, did did you get anything out of like watching the, the effects yeah i didn't necessarily think that the makeup was fantastic yeah i'm glad that you prefaced it by us saying that you know we're not makeup artists whatsoever here but I didn't really ever get the sense until, I guess, maybe near the end of the beach that the parents were aging, necessarily. I, I really never felt, you know, or saw um, uh, either of the parents look like they were aging at any rate, indicative of, of parents who would have maybe uh, been raising kids for 20 years. And maybe that's because they weren't raising kids for 20 years. There's a joke in there somewhere, and maybe that's why they <laughs> aged less. But they just it was looking like you know the main scenes with aging were everyone outside and you went from middle age and uh that just kind of took away the believability for me i mean we're in an age right now where you can also digitally age people forward and backwards with cgi 
And so why not go all in on, you know, adding liver spots and scars, you, you name it. I mean, they did, they added tumors and, and everything else. Why not really make sure to drive home the message that they were aging in front of our eyes? So I think they did a decent job with some of the subtle stuff, maybe initially with the adults, uh, with 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 the uh with the crystal character played by Ab- Abby Lee, um, who you know uh, ends up is pre- portrayed as being very vain and very self aware about her appearance, and I thought uh Guy and Prisha at, at certain points like did st- before they really got old. You saw some subtle differences, but the thing that I thought was kind of weird that even threw me off a little more because it became apparent that that a lot of these people had conditions that were causing them to, you know, uh, that that were they were feeling the effects of as it aged. I I was like, you know, I could see that they've now gotten kind of old, but like they had already cured uh, Prisha of her tumor in that operation scene, and so when the two of them actually like were near the end. I didn't think they aged him up enough with the makeup, so I was kind of confused. It was like they looked like they might have been in their 60s, but they didn't really give another explanation for what caused them to die. So I guess we were almost led to believe it was old age because, you know, the grandma died like mid-afternoon and they kind of died like late at night. And I'm like, is this supposed to be old age? Because they don't look quite old enough to be dying of old age. And it was just kind of confusing. So it was like I actually thought they did a decent job with the makeup up until that point, at which point – I was like wondering if I had missed something as far as like other p- potential fatal conditions these people might have that might have caused them to die at the point at which they did. So, you know, again, I don't think it's won any makeup Oscars, but I thought it, it was a tough balancing act to try and pull off to like, you know, age someone as through the years that those adults were aged while not being recast like the children actors were. So um, it was just a thought I had that I think also kind of contributed to like my kind of confusion with the plot, which I already found uh kind of mis- kind of confusing as it uh, to begin with so um graham any other final thoughts on old before we wrap this up no i just hope that the next m light Shyamalan movie that i get suckered into going to uh is a little bit better yeah again i think this is better than glass like there were parts of it that i liked whereas i thought glass is like totally missed the mark and i was so excited for glass but uh this this could have been a lot better for what its unique premise was. So I agree with you. I hope he rebounds. Maybe he needs to go back to Philadelphia. You know, I mean, Glass was also set in Philadelphia, but I guess this was uh, this is like his first movie that had ever shot outside of Philadelphia. I I, I don't really blame him for uh, wanting to go to a uh, uh, to a tropical location to do that. Um, they also, I guess, it might have needed. It might have had something. To, I mean, I guess this can see calls for a setting like that anyway. But they actually, this was a pandemic production. Uh, they filmed this in September of last year. So, for, but again, first time ever filmed outside, totally of the Philadelphia uh, area. So, uh, you know, maybe he just needs to get back to the city of brotherly love, uh, a place I like being too. Uh, Graham, anything <laughs> else? Graham, anything else you want to plug that you've been watching recently before we sign off? Ooh, um, you know, I'm rewatching The Sopranos right now. Have you ever watched that? I'm about to, I'm about, yes, I have watched it, but it's been about 10 years, so I kind of want to try and get through as much of it as I can before The Many Saints of Newark comes out. Oh, you gotta, you got, you, you should have started months ago, my friend. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, I am very excited for Many Saints of Newark, but you have a chance to actually figure out how fantastic it is. This is my third watch right now, and it's my girlfriend's first, so Ooh. we are uh, about to get to season three, so hopefully I finish before Many Saints of Newark comes out October 1st. Oh, it's October. Oh, God, I did. I thought I had more than, like, uh, I guess I have two no, months. Okay. No, you got to hurry up. Yeah, eighty. you have 82 episodes to watch in however many days Oh, it's 82? Left. 
Oh. I, mean, I, I guess the most important stuff is probably like the first few seasons with where, where Uncle Junior and Olivia are still around. Because, well, um, that's for, for, for the, yeah, because it is a prequel. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, I know those characters are going to play a big role in the next one. So I need to at least try try and get through the first half of the series again if I can do that. Um, so you're, you're you're enjoying it? It still holds up for you, like watching it for a third time. Oh, it holds up even better because mainly I've embraced subtitles um mm. in the last few years and that really has made me understand i think a whole heck of a lot more with the sopranos as it did with the wire when i rewatched it uh a, a couple of years ago interesting recommendation uh, it's funny you mentioned m night Shyamalan's uh, apple tv plus series earlier because i'm going to tell people to watch ted lasso which i mean a lot of people are already doing but ted lasso of is of course Ted Lasso is great. At the time people are listening to this, there will only be one episode of season of uh, basically just one episode of season two will have aired. They're coming out once a week for 12 episodes. I think season one was only 10 episodes and they're all about a half an hour long. Apparently the season two episodes are going to be a bit longer. But like, look, Ted Lasso is just delightful. I've had a rough week. I'm looking and I have that to look forward to at the end of every week. I've just had a it's just been a long week of work and it's just like such a such a joyous show. And I highly recommend everyone watch it. It looks like they're going to have some interesting storytelling choices in the second season just about everyone in the season got nominated for an emmy for or just about everyone in the series got nominated for an emmy for acting which and it was like just about all well deserved uh and the show got a bunch of nominations too it's just like a you know you don't even really have to like soccer all that much to get it and um and it's just a and i i, so I, I tried to turn my parents onto it last night and you know a lot of people are like asking me if i think apple tv plus is worth it and i i watched for all mankind recently on apple tv plus i've watched Ted lasso i've watched dick i've watched the morning show and i've watched little america and it's like five that's five series right there that i like all think have like enough stuff for, that are, are worthwhile to check out and uh, apple tv plus only like 4.99 a month if you buy any kind of new apple device they just give it to you for free for a year so i just like highly recommend doing that and ted lasso alone is like worth the worth the price of it so uh two more for you have you yeah. watched home before dark i have not i feel like is that an apple tv plus one it is on Apple TV Plus. Yeah, it's so, really someone good. told it's me about it. I, story. It's about a nine-year-old that helps solve a, 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 a murder, a cold case from 20 years earlier. It's good. It's got um, Jim Sturgis in it, uh, and it has the girl who was in the Florida Project. Oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Prince. Yes. Prince? Someone else recommended that on the pod at some point in the last two months. So now that you're the second person to recommend it, I'm going to have to try it. Season two is airing right now. And Mythic Quest, if you haven't watched that, is a fantastic show. Oh, is that the Rob McElhinney one? Yep, it's in season two, just finished up, and it finally is really, really, it, it, it hit its stride. Season one was pretty up and down, but this season, fantastic. All right, well, that's that's a that's a, a great uh, a great recommendation too. Like, so I mean, I, I just like I, you know, a lot of people gave Apple TV Plus kind of crap when they first uh, uh, came out. Like, do they really need to do this? But I think they've done a pretty good job. Uh, and Boy State last year was great too, which we talked about on the podcast. So, um, yeah, well, th- I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Graham, thanks as always for joining. If you want to follow Graham on Twitter, it's Graham Hall underscore correct. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, so get all your uh, get all your uh, uh, sports content from Graham there as usual. I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y on both Twitter and Letterbox. Podcast Twitter is at the Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. So send any feedback or suggestions to us there. Coming up next, I think we're going to talk about uh, either uh, Snake Eyes or 
uh, Green Knight, which comes out this weekend, which I'm very excited about with our friends Ben and Elijah. So stay tuned for one or both of those. And also Stillwater comes out this weekend, I think, too, just like a Tom McCarthy's follow-up to Spotlight. Somehow we had to wait five years or six years to get for him to direct another movie. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up. Everyone keep tuning in. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Graham for joining, and we'll see you next time.